an exciting halftime extravaganza in store for you this afternoon. The National Football League is pleased to present Up With People in a special performance featuring music of the 1960s, the decade the Super Bowl was born. Up With People is an extraordinary educational and cultural program for young people all around the world. So without further ado, Up With People! The dancing vampires and wolfmen attending Bobby Boy's Pickett's titular party have nothing on the real-life monsters responsible for the song you just heard. That clip was newscaster Phyllis George introducing Up With People at the 1982 Super Bowl halftime show. While they did pick one of the greatest songs ever recorded, it is curious that they were selected to highlight the 1960s, considering that they were conceived as pawns to undercut that decade's liberalism. It was a long, strange route for the Chintzy group to helm the biggest stage of the year. Like the Mont Smash, it all starts with a sprawling European castle. Buried in the Swiss Alps, Frank Buckman built the Coup Palace as ostensibly a hotel train. It really served as a conference center for his religious movement, Moral Rearmament. Frank Buckman's only theological rule was that he could direct the Holy Spirit to promote personal change. In the 1930s, the guru's popularity was so vast that he infiltrated politics. MRA members played essential roles in crafting the Schumann Plan, which later developed into the legal framework for the European Union and navigating Rhodesia's consolidation into Zimbabwe. The founder's main pursuit was sitting down with Adolf Hitler. A casual supporter of Nazism, Buckman was convinced that a meeting with the Fuhrer could convince him to change his mind about a few things. Sadly, the two never met, so we do not know how history might have changed. Following Buckman's death in 1961, Peter Howard navigated a schism in the organization. He rebranded MRA with a tour of America. Targeting young people, MRA could help contain the spread of the burgeoning liberal counterculture. Exxon, Halliburton, Pfizer, and General Electric funded a bunch of square-jawed folkies to push the conservative philosophy into music. The MRA's propaganda wing was called Up With People. Membership was grueling. Members had to exercise for hours a day until they collapsed from exhaustion. Sex of any sort was forbidden. Those who engaged in the activity were abandoned in random cities while touring. Gay members were simply beaten. Despite the toxic culture of upper people, the group performed four times at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl's halftime show was not the blockbuster spectacle we associate with the game today. The majority of acts were local area marching bands or jazz legends belting out standards. The four smiley folk outfit were the only modern pop group to play for the first three decades of the Super Bowl halftime show. By 1986, NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle had grown tired of their campy and over-the-top productions. He insisted the game be rebranded with contemporary musicians. In 1991, New Kids on the Block headlined. Michael Jackson's theatrical 1993 performance turned the Super Bowl halftime into a major phenomenon. One member did find eventual success. William Close gave his three daughters to the group so that he could spend time working as a personal physician to Congolese dictator Mobuto Sese Siko, the notoriously corrupt megalomaniac who executed political rivals by gouging out their eyes, ripping off their journals, and amputating their limbs. One daughter formed her own offshoot called the Green Glen Singers. The band forced the members to intermarry. 
One of William Close's daughters rejected restrictions and ran away to Hollywood. She became an actress. Early in 2021, that daughter, Glenn Close, earned her eighth Oscar nomination. At the ceremony, she got back to her musical roots by twerking to The Butt. But let's hear one of her original compositions. Traveling free through the fields, I got my head up high. Have my life ahead of me, the road winds to the sky. Think of something big to do, run and catch the wind. Hi, I'm Jeff Youngman. With me is our cult master general, Nate Youngman. And this is Off Key. This week we're going to talk about two more cults like MRAs up with people. Act 1, Father Knows Best. I'm sure everybody's heard of the group Yahowa 13. Nate, I know you have. Yeah, no doubt. I got a tramp stamp right here. <laughs> I'll say right now I'm going to mispronounce this all during this thing because it's just weird. Yahowa 13 was a psychedelic rock band fronted by Father Yod, the spiritual leader of a religious cult called the Source Family. The band recorded nine albums full of extremely psychedelic sound with tribal drums and distorted guitars. Some albums were completely unrehearsed jam sessions. Others contained more conventional rock songs. But let's talk a little about Father Yield first, shall we? Okay. Father Yield was born James Edward Baker on July 4th, 1922 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Although he is said to have been awarded the Silver Star while serving in the Marine Corps during World War II, the Corps does not carry his name on its official list of Silver Star recipients. Baker also was an expert in jiu-jitsu, a suspected bank robber, and an accused murderer. A restaurant he opened was allegedly funded through numerous bank robberies. Allegedly, now. He also reportedly used judo blows to kill a neighbor who had attacked him with a knife and killed the husband of a television actress with two karate chops and a bullet to the head. Wait, he had a bullet to the head or the person? He used the karate chops and apparently that wasn't enough so he went with the bullet. Oh, I just would have led with that one. Yeah. Baker moved to Los Angeles in the late 60s to pursue stuntman work, but was soon seduced by the Eastern mysticism dripping through the streets at the time. He was influenced by the Nature Boys, a Los Angeles-based group of beats who lived a natural lifestyle, maintained a vegetarian diet, and lived in according to nature's laws. He later became a follower of Yogi Bahan. Baker left Yogi Bahan, not Yogi Berra, Yogi Bahan, in the late 1960s and created his own philosophy heavily influenced by Bahan, as well as the astrological age of Aquarius. Changing his name to Father Yod, he became the patriarch of a commune of young people who considered him their spiritual father. The group became known as the Source Family. In 1969, Father Yod opened one of the country's first health food restaurants, L.A.'s Sunset Strip. The Source restaurant offered organic vegetarian food served by a collective of young hippies dressed in white robes. John Lennon and Yoko Ono were regulars, as were Marlon Brando, Goldie Hawn, Steve McQueen, Joni Mitchell, Julie Christie, and Warren Beatty. The restaurant was even featured in Woody Allen's classic movie, Annie Hall, where he mockingly ordered... I'm going to have the alfalfa sprouts and uh, a plate of mashed yeast. At its peak, the restaurant reportedly took in $300,000 a month. 
And this was back in the late 60s. Dang, that's impressive. That's a lot of... Greens. <laughs> yeah. The restaurant was the perfect recruiting tool for the Source family, and its ranks quickly swelled with young, impressionable people looking for a sense of purpose and community. Members took on the surname Aquarian and crammed into a three-bedroom house in the Hollywood Hills. At one time, actors Richard Dreyfuss, Rob Reiner, and Bud Court of Harold and Ma fame were members of the Source family. The Source family generally adopted a way of life that promoted natural health, organic vegetarian diets, and communal living, and utopian ideals. However, some of the group's doctrines were a little less than ideal. Father Yod had 14 wives and three children. Any woman who was underage and had to get married. The Source family members would get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and stand in the water. They had an exercise regime where they had to do push-ups using just their fingertips. They ate raw food that had to be eaten within 15 minutes of being cut or else the food's life force would be drained out. Mm-hmm. Eating was followed by one six-second inhalation of cannabis. The members were instructed to go to Social Security office to change their names to whatever Father Yod anointed them. Examples included Sunflower, Heaven, Orbit, Electra, and Magus. I don't see any Nate or Jeff in that uh, No. As the members became more devout, Father Yod's power grew. Alleged miracles began to occur. Yod proclaimed that he had the power to summon and cast out vampires. However, not all the vampires were destroyed. Some allegedly vanished into the shadows and continued to stalk Los Angeles' nights. <laughs> so he wasn't that great of a vampire slayer. Yeah. Vampires aside, music was central to the family's lifestyle, with members forming a house band called Yahoo Wa 13. They began to press albums in 1973, most of which were recorded after hours of meditation at 3 to 6 a.m. in a soundproof garage that served as a musician's studio at the family's communal residence. All of the records with Father Yo's participation were completely improvised with no rehearsals or overdubs. Most of the albums were pressed in small runs of only 500 to 1,000 copies on a higher key label. They were sold to the general public at the Source restaurant for $10 a piece. Though only nine LPs were produced and released, it is rumored that more than 65 albums were recorded by the group, but were lost over the years. Isis Aquarian, who was the family historian, Kivas, and one of Father Yod's wives, recently found a lot of unreleased music tapes in her archives, and they are now being remastered and released. The band changed members occasionally, Father Yod and the Spirit of 76, to Yahowah 13, to the Savage Sons of Yahowah, Yodship, and Firewater Air. I guess that's like Starship with Jefferson Starship. Yeah. Father Yo does not appear on all the albums released, but for those in which he participates, he handles lead vocals and percussion using a kettle drum. Another member of Yahoo 13 was Sky Saxon, who joined the Source family in 1973. Saxon was formed with The Seeds, an American rock band formed in Los Angeles in 1965. The group became known for psychedelic rock and is considered a prototype for garage punk bands. In 1966, the Seeds had a national top 40 hit, Pushing Too Hard. You're pushing too hard, or pushing on me. You're pushing too hard, or what you want me to be. You're pushing too hard, about the things you say. You're pushing too hard, every night and day. You're pushing too hard, pushing too hard on me. A major turning point for the Seeds came in 1967. The band's self-produced third album, Future, thrust the group forwards as torchbearers during perhaps the most creative and experimental time in American pop culture and music history. The album received acclaim from fans and critics as a notable work of flower power psychedelia and is regarded as a pioneering effort in full-blown psychedelic rock. Iggy Pop, Smashing Pumpkins, 
Animal Collective, and even members of the Beach Boys have all sourced the band, mentioning this album and previous ones as genre classics. Cover versions of various seed songs have been recorded by Alex Chilton, The Ramones, Johnny Thunders, Yolo Tango, Garbage, The Bangles, and Strawberry Alarm Clock. Really ended on a strong note there, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Intensive peppermint, baby. Mm-hmm. As for Father Yod, on December 26, 1974, the Source family sold their restaurant and moved to Hawaii. On August 25, 1975, despite having no previous hang gliding experience, Father Yo decided that he would go hang gliding. He used a hang glider to leap off a 1,300-foot cliff on the eastern shore of Oahu. He crash-landed on the beach, suffering no external injuries, but was unable to move and died nine hours later. The Source family refers to this day as Black Monday. After three days of vigil, Yod was cremated and his ashes spread over Lanike Beach in Hawaii. The Source family attempted to stay together, but without Father Yod's guidance as an anchor or the restaurant as a cash cow, the family split and hit the fields and streets of Hawaii, putting an end to Yahowa 13. Yeah, he's an angel, an angel like you, an angel. You're listening to WOHM Charleston, 96.3 Ohm Radio. Okay, great story, Dad. Weird stuff. Now it's time for my act, Act 2, Pyramid Scheme. That was Blue Magic's 1974 song, Sideshow. The number eight hit starts with a carnival barker inviting an audience to gaze upon the latest sideshow attraction. An appropriate introduction, considering that a future collaborator would get his start in that exact line of work at Coney Island's classic freak show. For over a century, the Coney Island Sideshow by the Shore has housed curiosities and oddities. Charlatans stationed there over the decades exploited vulnerable citizens and swindled away money. In the 1960s, Dwight York carried on that spirit. It is appropriate considering future claims he would make that York got his start as a sleight of hand magician. He did not pursue that art form. He became more politically inclined following a short stint in jail. The time incarcerated inspired a burgeoning interest in the Black Panther movement. His political aspirations coincided with further run-ins with the law. After violating his probation, he spent three years in prison for possession of a deadly weapon, assault, and resisting arrest. Upon his release in 1967, he got fully involved in the Nation of Islam. He went on a pilgrimage to Africa to better understand his faith. When he returned to America, he created his own doctrine. It's difficult to fully describe the tenets of this new faith, dubbed Nuwabianism. The religion is an inconsistent syncretism of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. There are passing mythological references too, including Egyptology, Freemasonry, and Atlantis. He himself was allegedly a god from outer space, promising to shepherd his followers to a faraway galaxy, on May 5th, 2003. For a couple of reasons, this did not come to pass. Yeah, I think that was, what, 18 years ago? I might have missed that in the paper, but mm-hmm. I don't see it happen. The group's most controversial element are their views on race. The Southern Poverty Law Center has designated them as a black supremacist hate group. Basing their worldwide view that all humanity descends from Africa, 
they believe that black people are thus inherently genetically superior. Black people are so advanced that they used to live for 1,000 years. So-called white devils lowered it out of jealousy because they only get to live for 60 years. Now, Dad, how old are you? Um, over 60, let's say. Okay, so there goes that dumb idea. The most offensive notion is that Caucasians' lightened skin is the genetic result of leprosy caused by inbreeding with jackals. Shockingly, these racist notions caught on rather well in Brooklyn. In the early 1970s, York founded the Anserville Allah community. The group blossomed into a 500-strong flock. During this time, York gave himself many monikers as a group, with the most common being Dr. Malachi Z. York. The religious organization was strict. AAC members submitted all possessions. All had to sell at least $25 worth of merchandise a day. Failure to meet this quota resulted in beatings. What, what kind of merchandise? Oh, um, promotional literature, a lot of incense and um, t-shirts. Ah, okay. York monitored when his followers could have sex by separating couples into separate homes. Yet he was entitled to sleep with any woman who joined the movement. York effectively wielded his stranglehold on the flock to order a series of crimes. I should say that these are alleged. His group called the Shotgun Gang instigated a series of robberies and assassinated local activist and critic Horace Green. York indulged in every whim, from fancy clothes to cars to drugs. Perhaps the most ridiculous was his musical side quest. Now, there are many ways to measure Dwight York's musical legacy. The first is the music that he himself created. We are not going to play any original compositions. Ah. Uh. Yeah. He appeared on minor recordings by Philly Solax, the Delphonics, and disco singer Evelyn Champagne King. I know Evelyn. And he played bass for a short-lived disco group called Passion. During shows, he sang around on roller skates. <laughs> Despite Passion's modest success, they still had a large enough following to open for noteworthy acts like renowned jazz vocalist Nancy Wilson or pianist Ramsey Lewis. Along with York, the band was made of former members of Blue Magic, who we had just played, and BT Express. If the group is remembered today, it is mostly as a band that helped break R&B innovator Kashif Salim into stardom. As a future producer, Salim played a crucial role in R&B's widespread acceptance of synthesizers in the 1980s. However, he will always be remembered for crafting You Give Good Love, the debut single of the decade's greatest R&B diva, Whitney Houston. Now, York's other great musical skill was as a magnate. His personal label recorded some of the most consequential acts of the decade. He helped launch Force MDs, the group mostly known for the Quiet Storm classic Tender Love. Candles, they light the dark. Now I see how lovely the feelings are. The Now, do not be deceived by the soft ballad. They were central forebears in the booming New Jack Swing revival come the decade's end. Another act, Stetsasonic, were foundational in building jazz rap. Check it out, my man. This is the music of a hip-hop band. Jazz, well, you can call it that. But this jazz retains a new format. Point. Well, you misjudged us. Speculated, created a fuss. You've made the same mistake politicians have. Talking all that jazz. 
The recently deceased underground titan MF Doom recorded his debut, Operation Doomsday, at Dr. York's studio. York's studio can be spotted on the album cover. It is a wooden building in the background. Metal fist terrorists claim responsibility. Broken household name usually set in hostility. Um, what is MF, you silly? I like to take mints to the end for two milli. Do -do 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 -do, that's an audio daily double. Rappers need to fall off just to save me the trouble, yo. Watch your own back, him in and go out alone, black. Stay in the zone, turn H2O to cognac. And now the last way to measure his influence is on his disciples. Those inspired by York's teaching include... Reggae luminary Jimmy Cliff, Wu-Tang Clan's RZA, rappers Mob Deep, Dougie Fresh, De La Soul, Nas, and Outkast. York's nephew, Kadar Massenberg, had such an impact on Neo Soul that he coined the genre's name. He also brought in two of the greatest stars, Erika Badu and D'Angelo. York also put out a record with the godfather of hip-hop, Afrika Bamata, featuring the Jungle Brothers. A sequel to his seminal Planet Rock, Return to Planet Rock, is relatively slight. But this did not discourage Mbata from calling York the Messiah. There's no need to be in doubt, cause that's not what we're about. DJ Africa, Mbata here tonight to turn it out. All the way from the mothership, you can't have the hop if you got no hip. You're gonna have troubles if your back won't slip. I know that it's hot, but don't you flip. It's another trip back to the earth, with the jungle brothers birth. It doesn't matter who's last or who's birth. When you get it like this. Sometimes these homages are more overt. KMD on his collaboration with Onyx Peach Fuzz name checked Dr. York. One of my favorite human beings, Cameron, mentioned him on Leave Me Alone Part 2, a track from his breakthrough. Purple haze. Down on New York, pile up my fork. Dips, consulted by the son of Malachi York, doggy. Jazzo, the mentor and man responsible for introducing Jay-Z to the world, was heavily involved in the community. In the first music video to feature Jay-Z, Jazzo can be seen holding up a portrait of Dr. York. In the same song, Jay-Z uses language derived from York's books. He mentions Nubians and Amorites, a biblical slur for the so-called white devils. During the early 1990s, questions started to surround York's illegality. To escape governmental oversight, he purchased an 80-acre encampment in upstate New York. The only condition was that members now had to dress up as cowboys. This is, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, upstate New York, they had to dress as cowboys? Member the cowboys, yeah. Uh, I'm not seeing it, but that's okay. Yeah. Paranoia of a federal investigation again forced York to move, this time to rural Georgia. In 1993, York bought a 476-acre property in Putnam County, Georgia. York celebrated the move with a new title. Now York was called Chief Black Eagle of the Yamsey Native American Moors of the Creek Nation. So did they go from dressing like cowboys to dressing as Native Americans? No, they dressed it up as Egyptians. Oh, God, <laughs> what am I thinking? I'm yeah. sorry. He settled on an Egyptian motif with two pyramids made out of wood and stucco. And then styrofoam propped up sphinxes and obelisks dotted the compound. While most New Wabians slummed in trailers, York lived in a mansion. The new Christian community was dubbed Tamaray, with the site's main source of revenue, a nightclub called Club Ramses. Shortly before he launched Crunk, Little John actually performed there. What? I know, right? That was my reaction too, Little John. <laughs> in May 1998, the club was shut down over zoning laws. In retaliation, New Wabians started terrorizing local figures. After representing Putnam County, attorney Frank Ford had his tires slashed, a rock thrown through his office window, and a gutted dog left on his house. 
The fracas invited national attention where Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson flew down the Tamaray to defend York. The most curious reaction came from Blade himself, Wesley Snipes. In spring of 2000, the act attempted to buy a fraction of York's compound for weapon storage. The actor had envisioned himself leading an on-site martial arts training camp called Snipes Royal Guard of the Amin Ra. This was before or after he didn't pay any of his taxes? Um, this was before. In fact, he cited the Nuevian text as a reason why he could not pay taxes. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. I understand it now. On May 8, 2002, York was arrested under suspicion of child molestation. A federal-level case charged York of racketeering and transporting children across state lines. York was ultimately sentenced to 135 years in prison for the largest single child molestation prosecution in United States history. More than 1,000 women and men have accused York of assaulting them over the decades. York claims that he should have been immune because Tamaray was a separate nation, not bound by county, state, or federal laws. This defense did not stand. York currently resides in the same supermax facility, along with the Unabomber and 9-11 co-conspirators. In fairness, Nuwabians insist that York was framed as a political prisoner. Either way, the sideshow came to an end. Wow, Nate, that was some story there. Uh, one of the more weirder things we've talked about, I believe. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, this is Off Key with Jeff and Nate. Uh, what are we going to close with tonight, Nate? So as we have discussed earlier, the MRA's group Up of People played an interesting role in creating the modern Super Bowl halftime show. That in itself is an interesting footnote. The more curious legacy is that of the Super Bowl halftime show itself. That impact would not be felt until Michael Jackson's sister took center stage. The screams at the end might have hinted to you that that was audio from the now infamous moment subsequently known as Nipplegate. In 2004, during the closing moments of his hit Rock Your Body, Justin Timberlake yanked on Janet Jackson's dress, unintentionally exposing her left breast to millions. The event scandalized the nation. Then-President George W. Bush even chimed in on the controversy. The FCC hounded Janet Jackson, despite being the victim in the whole thing. The controversy all but ended Janet Jackson's career as a hitmaker. In hindsight, the story is a tasteless act of voyeurism, but most people think the legacy begins and ends with the phrase wardrobe malfunction entering the lexicon. Unbeknownst at the time, the regretful moment served as the impetus for one of the few things with a bigger audience than the Super Bowl. Not among those spectators that night were industrial dweebs Chad Hurley, Steve Kern, and Jawed Kareem. In the days afterwards, they lamented how impossible it was to find unedited footage of the incident online. They started chatting about how there should be an online site for people to rewatch and share noteworthy videos like the Super Bowl clip or recent news feed from the tragic tsunami in the Indian Ocean. A year later, this idea germed into one of the defining cultural artifacts of the digital generation, YouTube. Following the chain of events, Frank Buckman's constrictive views on youth culture expressed an up of people, inadvertently spiraled into one of the greatest tools of adolescent expression. The musical legacy of YouTube is vast. The website gained notoriety with the breakthrough of novelty rap Lazy Sunday, 
Early videos like Evolution of Dance or Numa Numa were some of the first musical memes of the digital age. To close it out, we're going to play the song that was such a smash that it rewrote what counted as a hit. In 2012, one song forced Billboard to include YouTube views into the calibration. Thank you and so long, everybody. Open Gangnam Style! Gangnam Style! Open Gangnam 